1: What's up? This is River from Ohio. I uh, am in the Barcelona airport, currently trying to flee before the borders close, going back to my place of residency in Hamburg, Germany. Your podcast is keeping me entertained and um, at ease while I am in the belly of the beast as the panic ensues. Thanks, buddy
2: hey chris it 's Kimberly from Ontario, Canada, sheltering in place in rural panama i 'm an international house and pet sitter, and I travel around looking after other people 's dogs and cats and donkeys and chickens and doves. Um, the owners came back from Switzerland early because of the virus and have allowed me to stay here in a little casita on their property overlooking the ocean. It's beautiful and I'm so grateful to them that they're allowing me to stay here. I feel safe and secure, have lots of good food, and we're just riding it out together. About four years ago, I had a contract end, sold all my furniture, sold my car, rented out my house, and hit the road. As a pet sitter, it's taken me to Latin America, Southeast Asia, other places in Canada. It's been very cool. It has its moments when you feel a little lonely and a little disconnected, but I can't see giving it up.
1: Hey Chris, good afternoon. I'm out mountain biking in a nature preserve in near my neighborhood. Kind of contemplating on some, some information I've been listening to, Civilized to Death, Sabians, Tribe, and another not-so-human-based book, Coyote America. And in that book, they discuss how coyotes have a fission-fusion behavior where when a sickness is going through the pack, they will break up into individuals or pairs and stay separated until the sickness dies down and works its way through, and then they come back together. And looking at that and how, how we are so resistant to doing that, and there's something that we can learn from just looking at nature and spending some time out here, and sometimes spending a little bit of time away from our tribe is a good thing long as we know we have one to come back to and i'm working on building that uh inspired a lot by by guys like you and sebastian younger anyway enough ranting keep doing what you're doing i'm I'm really enjoying having some like minds to listen to while also staying separate from a lot of other folks stay safe out there guys
3: hello ladies and gentlemen and coyotes thank you for those intro intro snips um, if you want to send me an intro snip, please send it to intro at tangentially com. I appreciate it. Keep it, uh, as brief as you can, 20, 30 seconds. And, um, yeah, if you're in a windy place, try to, you know, get yourself some, some shelter from the wind. Um, so we don't get a lot of wind noise on there. I'm speaking. I've got a big furry thing on my, um, microphone. It's called a dead kitten. Really? That's what they call them, and it uh, it protects against noise, wind noise and pop, 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 popping noise and that kind of stuff, um, but I know you're not walking around with professional recording gear, so if there is wind, try to uh, minimize it. Uh, all right, here we are in this weird-ass world that we're living in now. Um, I hope you're doing okay out there. I'm doing all right. I'm in a little rented house in rural uh, Colorado. I'm at about 8,500 feet above sea level. My corpuscles are getting used to the lack of oxygen. When the first week I was here, I could hardly you know I'd walk out to get the mail or something and and be out of breath. But I'm starting to feel better. Riding the bikes around, you know, fresh clean air. It's it's I really love changes in weather. Uh, which is a problem in Los Angeles where every day is pretty much the same. Occasionally it rains, but other than that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, Here, uh, two days ago, it was in the 80s. I was walking around in a T-shirt, and then I woke up the next morning. It was snowing. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, Okay, several things I wanted to say. First of all, the response to the what makes this book great uh, episode number one has been overwhelmingly positive. I understand that some of you, <clears throat> excuse me, some of you who, who, you know, may not have been into it aren't necessarily going to take the time to write to me and say, eh, it was boring. Um, but based on the response, it seems like people are into it. So I'll do it at least while we're all, you know, stuck at home. Um, I'll do some more. I have some more short stories and things I'd like to read. So we'll do that. And you know, you'll see it when you look at the episodes. If you see the acronym WMTBG, what makes this book great, and you're not into it, just don't download that one, and you're all set. For the rest of you, uh, look forward to that, and uh, I'll, I'll come out with one in the next few days. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, I wanted to just thank people who are signing up uh, to support the podcast on my webpage. page. Um, in March, some of the people who signed up were Jonathan Rutt, Lucy Farr, Philip Horn, Thomas Paniza, Andy Sobjerg, Sobjerg uh, Whitney Dane, Nicola Day, and Robert Blue, as well as John Matt, Christopher Loper, Roger Spurlbaum, uh, Michael Pace, Evan Frater, William Tott, Joshua Fish, Adam Flamia, Blair Lynam, Johan Troll. Riley Meisch, and Ian Stokes. I know some of those names. Uh, thank you guys, all of you, for signing up uh, to support the podcast through my website at thatchrisryan.com. I really appreciate it, and it, uh, it keeps the wheels spinning here in podcast at Podcast Central. This episode is with a guy I met through Simon Rex, Um, he goes by Icy Mike, his real name is Mike Imber. Um, and it's one of these stories, it's, it's, I don't know, some people might find this triggering, um, because Mike owned a porn company for a while and it specialized, the porn company specialized in, uh, sort of, you know, gonzo, um, the girl next door kind of thing. And um, most of the girls or women that he hired to do scenes uh, were strippers, but some weren't. Um, Some people might feel like this is exploitative, and I can understand that. But I hope you'll give this a listen and think about it in terms of, you know, I'm sympathetic to the idea that Porn can be exploitative in some ways, right? You're taking somebody, um, giving them an opportunity to make a few thousand bucks doing something that they might not necessarily want to do if they didn't really need that couple thousand bucks. But how is that different from offering them a job at McDonald's for seven bucks an hour Doing shit that they sure as hell wouldn't want to be doing if they didn't need that seven bucks an hour. That's the thing that confuses me. You know, it's like, you know, somebody could be in, you know, Cambodia and they want to outlaw prostitution in Cambodia. And I understand that there are definitely people who are victimized by prostitution, but they're not, why aren't they over there picketing, you know, the Nike sweatshop? where people are working for pennies and being exploited for much less money. You know, and also if you say, well, it's more dangerous. Well, no, people die in these factories. Lots of people die in factories. Uh, As long as there have been factories, people have been getting their hands caught in the machinery. Um, You know, people are jumping out of the fucking windows at the Amazon or the uh, Apple factories in China. There's Work is exploitative in general. Um, And I think that if we focus on the exploitative nature of sex work, then we need to focus on the exploitative nature of work in general and, you know, compare apples to apples, uh, look at things in context. So, You know, as Mike uh, admits in in our conversation, there are some women who did a scene and then later they're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Or they didn't know how big the Internet was going to be, as, you know, none of us really did at the beginning. Um, And they look back later and they say, shit, for a couple thousand bucks, you know, I am risking my uncle seeing that. No, no, take that down. Well, you can't take it down. It's up. Once it's up, it's up. It's gone. Um so yeah, there are some, some difficult ethical issues that arise, but my feeling about it is that you know, the old adage business is business. Um it is, and I personally don't see how business that involves sex is inherently any more exploitative or unethical than a business that doesn't involve sex. So there you go. As long as, you know, everybody's a consenting adult, it is what it is. Um, One other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is I'm getting a lot of emails from people um, asking me my opinion on various uh, theories concerning the COVID virus. And the most popular one seems to be that it's associated with the G5 um, phone system, and uh, some people have sent me videos of people arguing this. And look, I think that, you know, the first step in any kind of critical thinking is to acknowledge the limits of our own knowledge. In my case, I am not an expert in electromagnetic radiation I'm also not an expert on virology, but I do have some critical thinking, basic critical thinking skills. And my first thought when somebody sent me this video and there's this uh, this guy sort of explaining how various viral outbreaks of the last thirty years um, have corresponded to uh, the sort of introduction of different types of electromagnetic radiation, my first thought was this is essentially a religious argument. This is um, someone who is uh, creating a narrative that connects a cause and an effect in such a way that it relaxes the mind because it seems to explain something. And the important feature of this is that it relaxes the mind, not that it be true. So, you know, the ancient Greeks, when they heard thunder, they thought that, you know, Zeus and the other gods were fighting on on Mount Etna, uh, And that was the the clash of the swords and the shields. No, it's not that, it, that's not true. Of course it's not true. That was never true, but it, served an explanation for something that was otherwise inexplicable, right? No one understood the, the sort of thermal, uh, you know, f- physics that was creating the thunder and the lightning. So there has to be a narrative because it's very hard for us to hold perceptions for which there isn't a narrative. That's, I think that's what happens in dreams, We have these sort of random images and feelings and smells and sensations that appear on the screen of our mind. And what we do, because we are narrative creatures, is we create a story from it. Uh, You know, it doesn't make the story true. It doesn't even, in the case of dreams, doesn't even make it, like, coherent um, if you tried to tell the story of a dream, if you remembered it perfectly and tried to tell it, it it's beyond words, you know, it's it because words need to fit together, but dreams don't somehow. They feel like they do, but they don't. So I think we do that with the world. You know, the whole 5G is causing the coronavirus thing, like, it makes no sense. Those are two totally viruses are not, don't even exist in the same realm as electromagnetic radiation. Uh, viruses have existed since long before human beings were creating any sort of electromagnetic radiation. I mean, smallpox wiped out hundreds of millions of people in the 1500s and 1600s. There wasn't, there were no fucking cell phone towers, right? Um, The explanation for why these things happen is the way we humans live. First of all, you need population density for something like this to spread. Uh, The more infectious it is, uh, the less population density is required. So smallpox, which was highly infectious, didn't need as much population density. Um, and there are other characteristics, um, at, at what point does someone become symptomatic? Um, at how long are they, um, uh, contagious? Are they coughing? Are they sneezing? Is it something that, it, or does the virus shed just through things you touch? Um, is it through, uh, excrement, you know, like, uh, cholera and some hepatitis, so there are lots of features of a virus that, depend, that determine how easily it's transmitted. But generally what happens is that a virus exists in an animal population and it jumps over into the human population either because a human being eats it, eats the animal, or gets infected while cutting the animal up, you know, um, blood-to-blood transmission, or potentially sexually if a human being has sex with an animal and it's transmitted into the human population that way, Um, or even just living in close proximity to the animal. Sometimes uh, it can be transmitted from animal to human. So, you know, as I say in both Civilized to Death and Sex at Dawn, we, we talk about how the biggest killers of humanities have been either viral or bacterial infectious diseases that have jumped over from animals to humans, influenza's of various sorts, as we're seeing right now, um, smallpox, chickenpox, tuberculosis, um, and so on. These have all started with animals, cows, fowl, um, swine, uh, and jumped over into humans. And now we're seeing some that apparently with the COVID-19, it jumped over from bats or pangolin. I I think they're still not sure of that, but it seems that it was one of those. Lots of recent infections have apparently come from bats. Now, why are bats uh, a vector? Because bats live in very close proximity to each other, very high population density. So our interaction with animals, either through industrial uh, agriculture or through invading um, more and more remote areas of the earth um, or uh, eating, you know, having these markets with exotic animals. Bringing us into close contact with these animals is what creates the bridge from the animal population to the human population. And then our population density and rapid travel and all that is what allows the virus to spread. You don't need an explanation so that what I'm saying is that's how it works. We know that's how it works. It works that way with every virus. It's been working that way for 10,000 years since humans started um, living in very close proximity to animals and to one another. And there's no need for a mystical explanation of this. So, that's not to say that I think 5G is necessarily totally safe. I don't know. And I'm suspicious. And I certainly believe that companies are willing to put the public health at risk for a profit. We've seen that happen many, many, many times. It's happening all the, from margarine to uh, you know cell phones that you're holding up to your head, that uh, that radiation seems to have some association with brain tumors. Um, so there's definitely danger there. But the problem is that when you sort of call out these technologies willy-nilly, what you do is you undermine legitimate arguments about their safety. So that makes me wonder if this conspiracy about G5 being responsible for COVID-19 may not actually have been or may have been supported by technology companies, maybe even seeded by technology companies, um, because it totally undercuts legitimate questions about the dangers of these technologies. Um, So, you know, I think it's, it's very, we have to be careful about, calling bullshit on technology because we need to do it legitimately you know if a bunch of people were running around saying fracking releases demons from the earth well what's that do that totally undermines people who are making legitimate arguments about how fracking fucks up aquifers and uh releases methane and causes you know uh climate change and so on and so forth which are totally legitimate But if all the attention gets sucked up by the idiots running around saying fracking releases demons, then that entire conversation gets cut off at the knees. So I think it's very important to um, apply some critical thinking to these things and to, uh, to be careful, follow the money when in doubt, follow the money, right? Telecom companies do not have enough money to send the world into this particular tailspin and keep it a secret. A lot more money is being lost by airlines, restaurants, hotels. Um, you know, think about every industry that's being just totally fucked right now and put their collective power up against the power of some telecom companies who you know are introducing five G doesn't even compare. So even just on that, you know, when I don't really understand the facts in a in a situation in a conspiracy, I look okay. Who's making money? Who's losing money? That's generally the the quickest and easiest way to see what's really happening. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Icy Mike Imber. I am going to play you out with a song uh, by a friend of the podcast, Joel Havea. Uh, and this is the Joel Havea trio. And uh, the song is from an album called, I believe, Island Songs. Yeah. And then the song itself is, um, I guess, Joel is part Samoan, I think he said. Um, and uh, so the, the song has a name in Samoan, I think. Uluaki Fepaki and it's from an album called Island Songs I really dig the groove here you can check him out at joelhavea.com j-o-e-l-h-a-v-e-a.com and uh, yeah this album just came out recently it's called well Uluaki Fepaki and the album is Island Songs Thanks for listening to the podcast, and I hope you're doing okay in your quarantine wherever you are. You're not alone.
4: Rolling.
0: Rolling. <coughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Ko eta ua natula, te afaka apa apa, misinio i fofua, kane koni Kon ka to konia langi, kone to efe kaua, to ke lao, amatangi, pe amatau fonua, Nema foki mai pé ue, oculté tu o mais si. Nem até onde está u, irei com minha pena em ti. It's no matter what state I am in I just need to hear them sing Days turn into years I've been away Still sounds as fresh As yesterday Those island songs They bring me home On a raft of rolling Melody and poem. May not quite get the words they say, but understanding isn't only with the head. On the opposite side of the globe, I'm listening. It gives me hope. I will one day reconnect But until then I won't forget Those island songs They bring me home On a raft of old Melody and home I may not quite get. Words they said that understanding is only with the head. See, no I love in the kingdom of Tonga Couldn't be further from me, you see, because I'm in Europe. So I am so so far from my very first home, when I feel alone, only quite the words they say no and understanding is only with
3: the head all right. all right ladies and gentlemen I'm here with a dude known as I see Mike to some just Mike to others I don't even know your last name do you want to em- say it or yeah, my last name's Ember yeah uh, Ember okay um Mutual friend Simon Rex put us in. I I, I met Mike uh, through Simon. Simon, shout out. He's very generous with his friendships and everything else. Um, So uh, we were, (laughs) this is one of these podcasts where we end up talking for an hour before I turn the mics on. But you were uh, going to start in Vegas. So you you grew up in Florida, went to Vegas for college.
4: Well, so I first went to a college named Stetson, Stetson University, which is in DeLand. And hmm. I went there on a tennis scholarship, right. but I didn't realize it was a, it was really a religious school and I didn't grow up around religion or anything, you know, really like that. Right. And it was, it was, it was a Baptist school. So like one of the, they were requiring Bible class and all these things. And, you know, I was 17 at the time when I left home to go to school and you're just learning about yourself. And I realized that is not what I wanted to be caught up in, right. but I stayed there for two years. But while I was there, it was a little bit west of Daytona. A couple of the girls that went to uh, Stetson with me ended up uh, working at a strip club in Daytona. And then, you know, they did like a Hooters there, like that whole scene. So I had a car and I was driving them to the Hooters. I was driving them to the strip club. We became good friends. And they were like, hey, what do you think about moving to Vegas? And I thought it was a brilliant idea. I was going to go leave with the two of them. And uh, so we hit the road, and I transferred to UNLV, transferred oh, okay. my scholarship out to UNLV. Right. And, you know, we stayed with, you know, lived together for a little bit, and they ended up going their separate ways, but it did get me out there.
3: All right. So that's what got you to Vegas. Yeah. All right. Uh, and the, were these girls, would you call them girlfriends or the— just yeah, friends. I mean,
4: yeah, we all played together. Right. I mean, we were we were good friends, but it wasn't, you know, any type of relationship or anything. Right, right. They were really close, too. They both played uh, softball there. Ah. Uh, yeah. Oh, they were at the college. They were at the college, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So
3: you're at a religious college. Yeah, it was the thing. It all thing. starts I mean, with Jesus. You no, know, this is it?
4: really pre-internet, so yeah. I wasn't, you know, we weren't able to do any homework. I didn't look
3: too much into it. I didn't realize what I was, you know, signing up <laughs> for there. All right, so you go out to Vegas with these, these two girls, and what are you doing there? Are you, Were you working right away? or you, Yeah, you know, I realized quickly you had to get a sheriff's
4: card to work out there. Like, things are, you know, a little different. You got to go through certain steps. So a I did,
3: sheriff's card. Yeah,
4: to, like, work in the hotels, and the ah, casinos. Ah. You know, they fingerprint you. Oh, like, ah, you like background checks. Yeah. So, yeah. So I had to go through all that, but I did get a job in Caesars working at this place called Cinema Ride just like some bullshit little gig hmm. and then met some people and ended up valeting at a strip club called club paradise. Hmm. And yeah, so I was working and going to school at the same time.
3: And where were you studying? Accounting. Huh?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'm decent
3: <laughs> with numbers. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do your parents do? What, what kind of world? Well, did that you was my of? backup
4: because my dad was an accountant. Oh, okay. Uh, he ended up selling his business to a somebody i went to elementary school with which was pretty cool and um my mom's a travel agent she still works right yeah cool and and they're still in florida they're still in florida right. yeah they're originally from philly oh
3: uh, all right that's where my dad's from oh right yeah. on ridley park oh yeah I, i'm not a big fan of philly i gotta yeah. say well yeah me either yeah. they're from south philly and yeah i've you know, I'm good. I'm happy they made the choice to move to Florida and have me there. Right, right. I'm born and raised in Dade. <laughs> so, all right. I, see, I know where this is going. The listen, <laughs> listeners don't know. But you're in Vegas. You're uh, working at the strip club, valeting. And how long How long are you doing this? Probably about a year or
4: so. And you're what? In your early 20s? Um, yeah, about 20. Yeah, because right. I turned 21 when I was out there my senior year. Right, right. And, you know, they're sending going like these little job interviews for, you know, what you could do for the accounting and none of them, I mean, I was killing it valeting, And mm. I was like, you know, why would I go take this job, go sit in this fucking office, 40 hours, make nothing. And it was best move I ever made was not getting caught up in that original circle. Right. The American dream. Yeah. <laughs> Put in those hours for nothing. Yeah. Work for the man. So where, where's it go then? You're so, you know, I'm doing my thing. These girls kind of went their way. I, I end up bumping into uh, this guy who kind of expanded my mind on the adult world hmm. out there. Because, you know, coming from Florida, you know, the hustle's all about kind of like drugs and shit like that. It's not You're not really exposed to or I wasn't exposed to whatever was going on in like the adult world with girls and whatever else, you know, in that whole... Area right, and he kind of like opened my eyes to a lot of the, a lot of things, and I realized this whole other society existed, yeah especially in Vegas, yeah, and kind of like you know was sharing some information but not, and you know I was putting the pieces together, and I kind of went and did my own thing and started like putting these parties together, mm. where you know I'd have a bunch of like you know, girls come to hang out and, you know, friends, friends, you know, that had some, you know, influence that want to have a good time. And I started, you know, putting these big parties together out there. That's in Vegas. But in Vegas. Right. But realized that I was probably going to go down a bad road out there. I was smart enough to know it was 21, 22, And I was like, you know what? I probably should leave Vegas. Mm. And I left to come back to Florida. So I started doing the parties, you know, and those things back home, and I would, like, rent out these big mansions, and, you know, they were they were a blast. They were a good time.
3: Did you, and, when? sorry to interrupt you, when, when you got that feeling it might be a good time to leave Vegas, did somebody tell you it might be a good time to get out of not, town? I just kind of, like, uh, I just felt it. You weren't, you weren't encroaching on someone else's... No, it wasn't,
4: it wasn't anything like that at all. Oh. Like, I didn't feel a need to leave, like, for my safety. I just felt that... Um, you know, I could probably do better not being there, whether it was the mm. environment, just being around, you know, too many, like being able to party all night, all day. Right. I knew that wasn't going to lead to, you know, a successful path.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting but,
4: instinct, how it tells yeah, you sometimes. Just I ended on. up going back years later and buying a house there, but it was way later on. Right. All right. So you went back to Florida, and you're doing the same
3: kind of parties?
4: Yeah, doing, you know, putting these together, and a friend, an old friend came who originally um, had went to school with me, like, when we were younger, but then he got, he ended up going to private school, where Mm. he, he was friends with these two guys who he told me that I had to meet. He's like, these guys are starting something online, and they really need somebody who's got access to girls. He's like, you know, would you mind hooking up with them and, you know, just going and seeing them? And our buddy had just he had just served like a few years in prison. So here was a kid. He was uh, he was adopted by a really wealthy family. He was put out of the private school to public school. He pinballed back. And that's that was the connection or else I probably would have never met these guys.
3: Mm.
4: So, um, yeah, he was the link that put us together. You know, he kind of grew up in a, a different type of environment, and I was on this other side. So he,
3: but, this, this is the guy who's adopted by the wealthy family. Yeah. What, that, did, what did he go to prison for?
4: It was like some white collar, like uh, some stock, weird, pump uh, and dumb shit, something like that. Huh. But, you know, he did his time, and when he got out, you know, he hit me up, and I invited him to one of the parties, and he came, and he saw what I had going on. He's like, you really got to meet these guys because they're, you know, doing something with— you know, Girls Online. This is way before there were pay sites or, you know, anything like that. So when I went in, I met these guys that he introduced me to. They were on the penthouse of this, of a big building on Brickle And I was blown away, and they were young like I was. And I'm like, oh, whatever the fuck they're doing, I don't mind, you know, getting involved. Hmm. And they shared the idea of doing, like, a subscription-based uh, pay site. And... Uh, You know, on top of it, our angle, we were going to go with, well, it wasn't from the very beginning, but we eventually, you know, morphed into doing all reality-based stuff Mm. where, you know, you felt like, you know, it was kind of WWE-ish. Like, you knew it was fake, but you felt like it was real.
3: Oh, right. And that's where... the gonzo kind of... Yeah,
4: gonzo, but, you know sending the girl up at, like, a taco shop, driving through and right. convincing her to, after work, leave like and the come. Bang, Bang Bros? Bang. Yeah, so that was our sister company,
3: Bang oh. Bros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was all... I'm exposing my porn taste you know. here. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember, so, I remember nothing that. wrong with that. Yeah, yeah so, like, chicks sitting at a bus stop. Hey, yeah, you want to ride? And, so, you know... Yeah. The, Creates um, the fantasy that it could happen to anyone, right? Yeah,
4: you never know. The girl <laughs> knocks on the door, but... You know, so that was the thing. It was more going to go pick them out in public and, Mm. you know, make it like it was happening versus the girl that does knock on the door, which, you know, I'd welcome that any day of the week, but that's not happening. Right. And we did a milf hunter during the same time that, like, you know, the bang bus was, you know, picking up and... You know, people really thought that this guy was going out and meeting, like, hot moms, and they were just horny hot moms who wanted to come back. Right, in the Target parking lot. Of course. Right. You know, where else are they at?
3: Did you grow up reading? How how old are you? I just turned 43. Congratulations. thank you. Are you an Aquarius? No, I'm Scorpio. Oh, okay. I just, my birthday was, like, a week ago. Um, Oh, Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm 27. Um, The uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I I don't. You're probably too young for this, but I grew up reading Penthouse Forum like that sort of. I mean, of course, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of like the print version of what you guys were doing because the whole appeal of Penthouse Forum was like, I never thought this would happen to me, but then you know, I was going to pick up some groceries and blah blah blah. So the whole thing was like. Just normal life, and then out of nowhere, some hot woman just wants to fuck you, you know? So it's kind of like what you guys were doing with the the porn sites. Yeah, you know, it it could happen. Um, Some of
4: them were, you know, girls that had never filmed before. We didn't really start filming girls that were in the business till way later on, like when the gig was up. Right. But in the beginning, you know, these were all like first time. And some of them, you know, might have been a 40-year-old woman who had never done it before, but she was interested and wanted to. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean the husbands sometimes would be there watching, you know, their girl do their thing. We had, you know, not to go off t- topic, but I just thought about it. Yeah. And One of these, one of those mofoner shoots of, very, one of the very first ones we did, this girl's like, you know, I love to do it, but can my husband watch? And I asked my guy, who was the stud at the time, this guy Sean Reese, who's a total character. I said, Do you mind? And he's like, No, not at all. So we're, you know, and this guy would, he'd fuck the girl properly. And I don't think this guy knew what he was about to witness. <laughs> the husband. he ended up fainting watching his girl get fucked. Wow. And, yeah, fell over and everything.
3: Did it break the chute? I mean, did you nah,
4: stop? No, I mean, well, we stopped, you know, to make sure he was all right. But, right. no, we kept going after, you know. And she was, you know, just wanted to make sure he was okay, and we kept going. But it was, uh, it was very interesting that the guy thought he was prepared. yeah. But he never probably thought somebody was going to fuck his girl like that, yeah, and I'm, he had some big shoes to fill that <laughs> night or the next day <laughs> or following <laughs>
3: yeah With do you think i mean was the, was he angry was no, he, he no it was just, he, no, like he, just, I just think he was, he was
4: overwhelmed, yeah. you know he just did not I mean, it was it was intense, but she was fine. she thought it was great, you know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they had yeah. never swung or anything, or, you know, they weren't, they were just curious. Right. And, you know, she wanted, and this is also way before the sites were extremely popular. So I don't think she, you know, because what ends up, what ended up happening, like, and not maybe just with her, but with other girls, they didn't realize how much exposure really was. Right. So it went from an experience to, oh, wow, now, oh, my coworker saw that scene. You yeah. Know? Is there any way you could take that down? Mm. And, you know, under some situations we could, but it didn't matter because once it was up, it was always somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. People download it and yeah. And then off it goes. Yeah. But, you know, we would do our best to try to help out. But, and that's why, like I was saying to you earlier, I would always rather talk somebody out of it than into it. Yeah. So you're doing this because you really want to make this happen.
3: Right. Right. Is the money a major factor for the women, or is it more they see themselves more? Yeah, probably seven eight out
4: of ten times it's about the money. But uh-huh. there are you know those unique unicorns that just want it because they love the sex, that, right. you know, or they want to fuck in front of somebody. Yeah, you know that might be where their enjoyment lies. But the yeah. money's primarily. Yeah, the motivation. How much
3: were were you paying, if you can say? I mean, it, or, God, would laugh.
4: It? I mean, back then, you know, some of the girls were shooting six, eight hundred dollars a scene. Mm. You know, now the way you know girls are monetizing their social media, it's a whole different ballgame. Like they're right. not showing up to do a bikini shoot for five, six hundred bucks anymore. Right? It's you know a whole different world. But back yeah. then, you know, that moved the meter for them. You know, a thousand bucks, maybe fifteen hundred if they were special. Or right? And the guys. Average guys were doing like three, 400, but like the milf hunter, who was our, you know, top stud at the time, he was getting a thousand a scene, mm. you know, and, and now the guys too now are monetizing their social and their rates have, you know, gone up as well. Not, you know, in the same sense that the females have, but yeah, people don't realize how important the male is in those movies because there's nothing worse than having a gorgeous girl ready to do her thing. And the guy can't get his dick hard. Yeah. And it's not maybe because he's not attracted to her or whatever. It's just the environment of having, you know, lights and people over him, And you're not, yeah. like, fucking in the most comfortable position. You're not, sure. like, hovering over, digging in. Right. Like, you're opened
3: up. It's right. you know, a little awky. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And people are telling. I mean, they're, like, I've been on porn shoots. I was. I don't know if you know, I won an AVN award. Oh, yeah? Do you know that? For what? Best Non-Sex Performance. Oh, that's a great title. <laughs> that's my Did you category. go and
4: collect award and everything no, when you were
3: there? No, no, dude. I, I, I knew I was nominated, you know, oh, yeah. and people were like, you should go to Vegas. And I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm winning, you know. Right. Like I was, um, but uh, That's funny. Yeah, like I was up again in my category, like Ron Jeremy, you know.
4: Is, Who was the production for? It
3: It was um, a film called Marriage 2.0 okay. that was um, Adam and Eve uh, you know, like yeah, I, yeah, I guess they course. make sex toys and stuff. Um, they funded it and a guy I knew was, uh, directing it. It was his film. No, I
4: didn't know he did that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, and I've also, I mean, I worked for one of the biggest porn companies in the world, private, mm-hmm. do you know them? Yeah. They were based in Sweden. Yeah, they ended and,
4: up getting bought as well by MindGeek.
3: Oh, did they? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was weird. It was a weird time. That was when I lived in Spain. I was like an online editor for them. And, um, yeah, that that was strange. But yeah, I've sort of been around. I had a yeah, I girlfriend who was a stripper at the Mitchell Brothers and Oh of course, yeah. You know, they had the, a great movie that um The Green Door or something?
4: No, but no, they did a movie about the brothers. Oh that was Charlie oh. Sheen and um or no, Emilio Best of it. and somebody else was in it and they're like doing yeah, the like rails one the, all day and night and yeah. the movie was really good. Huh. I mean, it was X rated, I think.
3: The name of the movie? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. He's, it was
4: about them. It was about the Mitchell brothers.
3: Didn't one of them shot the other? Yeah. It
4: was It was pretty <laughs> crazy. crazy. Yeah. I've actually never been to the award show. 15 years, 20 years in the business, I never went to that. Why know, is that? Because uh, it's too fucking long. And, mm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't think I would have gone on stage anyway. I think it was one of those things they just, like, yeah. you know, put up a Those shows used to be fun back in the day.
4: Yeah. You know, now it's way more tamed.
3: It's yeah. changed. Vegas. First time I ever went to Vegas, still the only time, actually, I've ever spent time in Vegas, uh, was when I just finished grad school. And I had just done my dissertation on human sexual behavior in prehistory, right? And which later became Sex at Dawn. And, you know, when you write your dissertation, it's really frustrating because it's the biggest thing you've ever written. It's a huge fucking thing. And you know like three people are ever gonna read it, right? And you're the people on your committee and that's it. And you're just jumping through this fucking hoop. And you know, I think everybody sort of has this dream that someone will read it and someone <laughs> will think it's like worthwhile right. and whatever. So a couple months after I finished I get this email from a guy saying, Hey, you know, Professor so and so showed me your research and um we'd love to invite you to come and present your research at a conference in Las Vegas, all expenses paid. You and a companion. And it's like, are you fucking kidding? This is the dream, man. (laughs) But it was in August. Fucking Vegas in August, man. Your feet stick to the roads, you know. Um, And it was the largest swingers convention in the world. It was the lifestyle convention. That's great. So I go there. I'm like, you know, a scholar to present my dissertation research. And they've got me. There's 3,000 couples at this hotel, plus walk-ins, right? And I forget what one of the big hotels on the Strip. And uh, I just, I remember like I was given my talk in one conference room and next door, so my talks like the prehistory of human sexuality or something, next door was um, fisting for fun and pleasure. Amazing. That's <laughs> what so I was up against. I think they had a bigger crowd. Yeah, in there. right. Yeah, but it was it was interesting. And that then name, spent the name will get you. Yeah, yeah, fussing, fisting for fun and pleasure. Um. Anyway, so uh, enough about me. Where where were we? We're talking about oh, Florida. Right. So so your role with these two dudes, like they were the tech guys, and yes. you were the access to women. Exactly. That's an. Did you feel like? Were you intimidated by that? Like, where am well, I going to no. find all these women? No, and?
4: not at all. So it was because um, everything I was doing at the time was off camera. Right. So I had never even really thought about getting into, you know, film like that. I didn't It wasn't like I was a film buff. I wasn't really into porn growing up. Right. I watched it, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I was wasn't super, like super into it. Greg Lansky. Well, I mean, you know, he... He worked with him, right? Well, no, I I brought him on. He worked for us, for Reality Kings, for, you know, quite some time. He's an amazing, you know, filmographer. He's, you know, interesting guy. I mean, he's a good good dude, man. Yeah. Um,
3: But, yeah. He was
4: super into it. Like, that was his little thing. Like, I am going to work in porn. He wanted to be in that. Yeah. Yeah. That was his... uh, yeah. Saying it, you know he, he did, so you know he worked for us for seven, eight years, mm. you know, filmed some amazing sites mm. and um, yeah, he ended up uh, wanting to do like um he wanted to do an interracial site, and we didn 't really think there was that much money in it, mm. and that's what kind of had him start and go do his own thing was he wanted to pursue doing that particular niche
3: mm. you didn't think there was money in it' that's well, because
4: there was a couple. You know, there was a couple other sites that had been out before. There was like a, there was dog fart. There was uh, blacks on Blondes. Mm. and you know we'd watch them, we'd see, and they just weren't doing big numbers. Dog fart's a bad name. Yeah, it's a pretty bad fucking that, name. That's gonna kill your boner right yeah. there. You know, I mean, yeah, it doesn't do too much for you. <laughs> but you know, they were the ones doing it then, Right. and yeah, maybe it was their name that was fucking the numbers <laughs> up. You know, that shit, man. <laughs> could have called
3: it anything else. Yeah. 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 Neither one of those terms should have been in the no, title. You don't want a, unless it's doggy style or yeah, something, but possibly, you, you don't want a dog in the room when you're jerking no, off. That's no, a bad call. Nothing to do with that. <laughs> and yeah. So, you know,
4: that's the way that went. But I, I wasn't, you know, set out to do anything like it. But they saw what I you know, had access to and were like, hey, what do you think about doing this? So in the girls that I was dealing with, I wasn't really too sure how they'd feel about being on camera or anything. And so I had to rethink my, you know, mindset to get them cool with being on board with it. And the first site that we decided we were going to do was called Come Fiesta. And it was just going to be super simple POV, you know, where the studs holding the camera and, you know all the girls that we got for it were first-time girls. We weren't, like, using an agency And anything. were they, like, Latinas? Is that the idea of no, Fiesta? So, or? I, you know, no, it actually had nothing to do with it because shortly after we did Come Fiesta, we launched 8th Street Latinas, which was a big site for us, mm. where, you know, we would go around Calle Ocho and go down all those, like, little random areas of Miami and find, you know, the hottest, thickest, curvy, you know, that real 305 vibe and... We put, so then we started doing the different niches with them. So we did the, a Latina site. We had a site, Big Naturals. You know, girls had to have natural breasts. Um, we did a site, Round and Brown. You know, we, then we would do just girl-girl stuff. So we you know, separated all the different niches, had about 15, 20 sites. And then we ended up putting them all in one basket under Reality Kings.
3: Mm. And these are all subscription-based? All subscription-based. And how do you protect against... Piracy Was that a big issue, or was was the flow high enough you didn't
4: worry? Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, now there's tons of free sites out there where, you know, the shit's everywhere, and the tubes are taking it from the advertising and all different methods. But, you know, the piracy, you know, passwords were shared and everything, but at at the time it didn't really matter because we weren't the only show in town, but we were one of them. And, Mm. like, if you wanted to have good quality stuff, you know, you were buying the membership, and... The uh Yeah, so we were just coming out with different niches, you know, to keep the members happy and keep building and reaching new people to to get them.
3: And this is when, late nineties
4: early? This is like 01. 01 Yeah. yeah. Two thousand,
3: two thousand one. Right. And and you guys are mid to late twenties at that point? Mm-hmm.
4: Um yeah, I mean twenty years ago. Yeah. Were you doing 20s. the accounting
3: as well? No, or no, no, no,
4: no. I didn't have that's I was just running around doing my thing. I right. never ended up getting a job after out of college,
3: right.
4: which was you know, the best move I could have made. And yeah, so you know, I ended up there, and they had the concept of doing the subscription base. When I first came to them, I actually had this idea because I knew people at the time weren't wanting to put their credit cards online. So I had these cards called Peep Cards, <coughs> and I had them in all these like 7-Elevens, and I had them like at adult stores. So if you wanted to get online and look at a site, you just you know whatever your fixed cost five, ten, twenty dollar card, whatever you wanted to buy, scratch off the back, and you know it avoided you having to put your credit card online. Mm,
3: so like a prepaid thing.
4: It was a pre. It was the first prepaid card at the time, and I you know I thought I had gold. I was like, this is it. Yeah. And you know I shared that idea with them, and they're like, no, 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 that's not where it's at. This is where it is, and you know they opened my eyes to. The subscription-based.
3: So they had, like, the, the security set up so that people could it, put the credit cards. Yeah, they
4: handled all the back end and yeah, had that all iron tight. Right,
3: right, that's important. And I
4: just came in and did my part, which that's where it worked best, because I didn't know anything about that. You know, right. I learned as I went, but not, you know, that was not my field. Right.
3: So you guys, so it's three guys? Yeah. And they were buddies before? And yeah, you sort they, of they went to high school together. Ah, Yeah. Right. And the relationship between the three you? Oh,
4: we're, yeah, stayed in, good. No, we're still you Dude. know partners to this day, good friends, and everything was done back then on a handshake. You know, hmm. we sold our company for nine figures with you know no paperwork between us, and it's amazing. I mean, that's unheard of to do. Yeah. you know these yeah. days.
3: What's the so. key to that? It's, I feel like I'm talking to someone who's in a, a real, like in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, how do you guys keep it together with all that money coming in, all that pressure and you know, it's, um, nobody's ever
4: asked me that, but it's, it's interesting how it did, you know, stick together. And, you know, we might have had a handful of arguments over all those years, but at the end of the day, we were, you know, always took care of one another and nobody was ever slighted.
3: You never worried that those guys were going to work against you because they were old buddies and you were the
4: new guy? You know, I never felt that. You know, I was never really concerned. I always felt that, you know... We would always do right by one another and it wasn't a concern. Now mm-hmm. to go into something now, I feel well, maybe it's just because I was so young and maybe a little bit more, you know, naive then, but I got really lucky. You know, yeah. I put a lot of trust in it in the
3: relationship, just like they did, you know, with me too. Yeah. So how long from when you, you know, met them in that penthouse till things really got off the ground, was that a year, six months? So it started, you could see the
4: gradual improvement with the members building, but it took probably about a year and a half till the numbers got to the point where we're like, wow, we really have something here.
3: Right. And also the internet's growing, the Every, whole awareness of online And high speed access, right. more people is accessible where, right. you know,
4: you weren't waiting five minutes to look at one image. Right, yeah. You know. yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah,
4: I mean, it was awful. Yeah, so you know, it was all those things were growing with
3: one another. So it was like a perfect storm for us to right. do, you know, capitalize, You're catching this wave, caught and a then, wave. So when you guys started raking in serious money, did that attract like sharks? You know, did you start running into some?
4: Well, you know, there's always fraud and
3: yeah. you know, things
4: like that. Where, you know, people are always trying to find a way to, you know, get over on you, whether it's like an affiliate or, but you mean like, like in real world? I'm saying like like the mob, you know, I don't know if you can talk about that, but. You know, there's definitely um, the presence was, you know, normally those guys get more upset when you're taking something from them. You know, if they're just coming with their hand, I think it's another, but like if you were to go get involved in like a a gambling situation or whatever, where you were taking business, that's when you're really getting the visit, you know? So we weren't so much doing that other than they, you know, were interested in what was going on, which kind of was the reason that me and Kimbo ended up linking back up was, well, it was just a random moment while we ran back into each other. But it was also at the time, when the sites were getting a lot of exposure, a lot of these girls we were filming were having family see them online, and it started to get a little it became a little much.
3: So people start threatening you or with lawsuits or whatever.
4: Yeah, it was um yeah, it was a little of everything, yeah. and like I said, we never talked anybody into filming it and they all signed
3: releases they're all, all over 21 or whatever. Well,
4: all over 18 18? you know with two forms of id government right. issued not like your fucking student id or your library card or whatever right and um but you you know what you couldn't take into consideration was you know who in their family was going to see this that it was going to bother them and you know after i ended up the, the first day that kimbo actually rolled with me Kimbo's the UFC fighter. Yeah. So we went to high school together. Oh, okay. And, you know, we were good friends in high school. We went our separate—he was a year or two years ahead of me. We went our separate ways. He went to Bethune-Cookman, which was near Stetson. We were near each other. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he got into whatever. He got into there, and I ended up going out west. We linked back up when I moved back home. And I had brought these girls to work to this strip club that he was working, but it was a rough strip club. It was in the city mm. and he was working the door and I hadn't seen him in years. And I, I pull up and he's, he's wearing a cast on his leg. And, you know, we, you know, we started bullshitting. He's like, Hey, you know, and I would always call him Ferg you know, his last name's Ferguson. So from high school, he was big Ferg. He's like, Hey, you know, people, they call me Kimbo now. And I'm like, uh, I said, I don't, where'd that come from? He's like, and he didn't really get into it. He's like, well, you know, just call me Kimbo now. Within like a second, I'm just calling him Ferg. That's what I was used to. And I'm looking at him like, man, I, I don't want to upset him, but it was just muscle memory calling him that. Yeah. And, you know, I had brought these girls there, and he was like, so what are you doing now? And I was just really finding myself, just trying to figure out what I really was going to do. And he's like, I would love to not have to work here. You got something I could do. And I said, well, was it got something to do with you being in the cast? And he's like, as a matter of fact, yeah, there was, um, he had knocked somebody out in the club. And when the guy left, he got in the car with his buddy and they drove over him, like tried to kill him. Mm. Kimbo shot him. You know, he didn't kill the guy, but he shot him. And he knew that he was a sitting target working up there, working the front door. And he right. knew they were going to come back and he, uh, yeah, he didn't want to be working there anymore. So we slowly, you know, started a role together, and it worked work for me because I kind of needed someone as I was having, you know, issues with some of these girls, you know, brother, husband, boyfriend. It was becoming a problem. And the one of the first days that he was with me, um, this Colombian girl had asked to have her stuff taken down, and I wanted to help her out with it, but she asked me to meet her, you know, to to go to this, you know, restaurant and talk and meet her, had no problem doing it. And I got there and he was, he was behind me. He was waiting in the car and I got up there and she had like six of her family members there. Oh boy. And, you know, I gotta say to this day that if he didn't end up coming up, I don't know what would have happened to me. Like, I'm not sure what would have ended up happening, but he, um, so I'm sitting there, and they're around me, and he—he
3: he, is in the restaurant.
4: Yeah, it was like out, It was like an outside patio type setup with like a big bench seating, and I—I I didn't know, like, what I was walking into. They, she had it set up, you know, pretty slick, hmm. and you know, I'm sitting there for a few minutes. I'm thinking, like, oh my god, I hope he fucking comes quick, and I felt like I was going to get like ushered out of there and taken to wherever they were going to try to take me, and. He came and kind of, it was like a bench row of seating, and he got on the end of it and smushed three of the guys into the corner. He's like, you know, is everything all right here? And I'm shaking my head like, "Nah." And, yeah, it ended up being a the thing there, um, but he handled it. And I did my best best to help out, and, we, you know, we ended up getting out of there. Jesus yeah and I'm not really sure what would have happened if he would't have been there
3: were they armed these guys the,
4: two of them had a knife hmm. yeah, That's yeah the good. minute one of them went to pull one, he punched them right in his face and they weren't these weren't like huge guys, but they looked like they looked like they had no problem doing anything bad right. They they were not there for the food.
3: Were they? I mean, were they saying do you do this or
4: or they or were they just only there one to mess of them was up? really speaking like broken English? Uh, you know, yeah. they were. I don't know if they flew in or what. Oh boy! But it yeah. it wasn't. You know, I didn't I didn't feel good about the situation, yeah. and it couldn't have worked out better. You know, him being there. And I, the only thing I was thinking about was like, why couldn't he walk in with me? It would have avoided the whole thing. But he was sitting back rolling a blunt in the car. So he ended up strolling in, just right. chilling, and but he felt it, and that's why we were always on the same wavelength. He felt that something wasn't right. Right, right. And then after that, we were together every day. Yeah, huh. yeah. I actually had a, an old Cadillac limo that he would drive, and we were gonna do a site called Kimbo's Limo, where he was gonna, you know, fuck the passengers, and we never ended up doing it. Yeah. But yeah he loved the idea. He's like, can we do a practice run? Let me just, you know, at least try it out. <laughs> yeah. So I went and let, he went and got tested and, you know, just had some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Home like, movies. But yeah, after that, he, um, yeah, we were very inseparable. I'm like, uh, yeah, I need you around.
3: Yeah. How did you handle, I mean, I guess you came from sort of a middle-class background, right? Accountant, travel agent. Yeah. You know, nice, stable, but not, Nothing like this. Oh, no, no. Not at all. Uh, I didn't even know what what Malibu was. Yeah. (laughs) When I say this, I mean, I should describe where we're sitting. We're we're in the kind like, it's this house, like, if you've watched Entourage, it's like that kind of house. Mm -hmm. It's the house people think of when they think of movie stars, L.A., we're looking out over the Pacific Ocean. There's an infinity pool. It's a fucking beautiful, beautiful yeah, I g- place. I got
4: really uh, lucky getting
3: this spot here. Yeah, a real bargain, right? right? Well,
4: <laughs> I mean, you know,
3: not, not so much got on, a story. On, on
4: the financial side, but like I got deer in my yard. I can see the
3: oh, dolphins right. and whales. Like, yeah, we're looking out at the Malibu Pier. Yeah, you know, it's a it's, it's, a, it's a good vibe astounding. here. Astounding! It's yeah. a really nice place. Thank you. Um, but h- how did you handle? the, the money and the pressure and like, you know, you're not used to this world. You're in a world you've never been in before and you're 28, 29, whatever you were, that's heavy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh,
4: it's something you definitely get used to as, you know, just trying to stay grounded and not let things get away. And mind you, we were also filming this site called in the VIP, Which was like our most exposure where we would go out to the clubs with 20 girls and like put on like this whole, you know, show, you know, this is before people were busting out their cell phones. So we were in clubs having like full on sex scenes Mm. where you just rent the whole club. You no, know, the clubs were open. Oh, yeah, I, and you
3: could have sex scenes in a
4: club. You know, it was my guy gave us the green light and he was running the biggest clubs on the beach. We'd be on like a Saturday night and couldn't even believe it was happening. But you couldn't do that now because everyone in the club would be filming it with their phone. Where back then it just wasn't happening. So it was mm. able to be done. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was definitely, it took a lot of discipline to not let the party and the life get the better of, of myself. Yeah, right, because the party is part have. of the job. I mean, It, it could have. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm, I think, I, you know, I was raised right, and I, moderation was always, like, my key. I always had a good time, do whatever, but I knew when to cut it off and hmm. not
3: chase the dragon. Right, right. And was part of it also... I mean obviously uh, Kimbo's presence in your life was important for you know security issues and all that and you trusted him because you'd known him a long time um but was it also important for you to stay in touch with people that you had known Earlier, in order yeah. to keep that connection,
4: well, I kept you know a lot of our original high school friends together, like
3: a real small tight group that right. you know I did trust. We mentioned earlier uh, a mutual friend you'd known since high school or junior high school. Yeah, uh, right? GB. GB, yeah, yeah. who's
4: actually GB's how I ended up meeting Simon. You know, right. that's who introduced me to Simon, and we were we threw a party out here. When We were in l a we rented this house, and g b asked me because I would never like have guys come to the party, but he was like, "Hey, could I bring a good friend of mine? You know I think you know you like him, you guys would get along and that was the first time I met Simon was at one of these things we were throwing, and yeah, he's you know a real special person, and you know thanks to him that's how Kimbo had all his hollywood um all his Hollywood doors open it was really. From Simon. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, yeah, all all from him originally. Simon is impossible to describe to people. Yeah. No, right. You can't put your finger on anything. He's
3: one of my best friends, so I find myself wanting to tell people about him, but like, I don't even know. Where to start? Are you know, you, you don't know where to start with him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's an
4: extremely unique person. And I'm yeah. telling you, if it wasn't for, I mean, look, we wouldn't be sitting here if it sure. wasn't for, for him. Yeah. And, yeah, that. so GB was how, we, you know, we ended up meeting up. And, you know, he was always like, hey, you should, you know, get Kimbo and some more things out here and do this and that. But at the time, you know, his fighting career was, I mean, even before the fighting career happened, like when we were just rolling with one another, you know, he wanted to make more money. Kimbo did. And he was always like, what else could I do? What else could I do? And I had never seen him lose a fight. And I was like, well, how about fight? And he thought, uh, he was like, yeah, sure. He was like, well, how are we going to make money doing it? You know, and I thought about it a little bit. And what we decided to do was to just go around in the, you know, the neighborhoods what we knew and find who, like, you know, the, the local dope boy or whoever it was, who his, you know, muscle that he had. And who would you want to put your money on? Who do you got here that you'd bet on? And that was how, and he was like, well, you know, what if I lose one of these? And I'm like, I got you covered. Don't worry about it. You just, you know, you do what you do.
3: So were you, was he fighting like bare-fisted? Yeah,
4: or? it was all bare-knuckle. This oh, is, sure. yeah, this is before we got the call that, you know, somebody wanted him to have his first pro fight. We were just doing this so he could make extra money. And I was always like a big fight fan and into it. And it was fun setting him up. And then it was one time somebody had heard about him and he goes, Mike, you know, can I come and watch? And I said, well, if you come and watch, you got to film it. This is somebody that had worked for me. And so we just randomly filmed one. And I let my partners put it up on. We had this site at the time. It was a TGP, like a thumbnail gallery post at the time called Sublime Directory. And we put it up online, and the reception was, you know, it was unbelievable for them.
3: Was this before UFC? So oh, this
4: is way, yeah. Um, <coughs> oh, you mean before it took off? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were obviously operating and doing their thing, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Yeah. And, yeah, we, you know, we, we, they put this up, but then it ended up, this is where YouTube was just kind of getting going, too. So and then somebody took the video and put it on YouTube. And that's where it really started to, you know, explode. Hmm. And that legally that, that was, um, cool? oh, I don't know. You know, we looked at it and when we looked into the law a little bit, it was more like, um, two men on private property who were both agreeing to settle whatever dispute was legal. And there was no monetizing of the videos either at the time, which right. we missed a huge wave. Where, right. you know, I, I could only imagine if it was in today's time and you were able to monetize one of his fights, you know, what it could generate. I mean, he, how big was he? Size-wise? Yeah. He's like he was 6'2", 240. 240. Uh, guys die in fights like that.
3: Bare-fisted yeah.
4: fights? Well, I mean, that, you know, I guess that's if, like, somebody stomps on him on the ground or but things like that. But
3: even a fucking shot to the head and you fall down well, I mean, and you hit happened, your head on right? the road? I mean,
4: it's happened. You've yeah. seen it, but... Were they fighting in a ring or something? No, it was, like, we did, that was part of the um, the fun. You know, it was like we had different settings. We fought in a boatyard, fought in a garage, fought in a laundromat. I mean, it was really, it was kind of like, um, not Bloodsport, what's, uh, what's the other Van Damme? Lionheart. Kind mm. of Lionheart-ish with the different settings. Mm. We never did a racquetball court or anything, but... Yeah, it was it was just different street fight settings. Yeah. So it's almost like violence porn hmm. with the different settings. Yeah. So I guess you could call it or you know maybe label it that a little bit and they were they were pretty pretty violent, but nobody ever got permanent damage other than one guy whose eye got pushed into his face. He's not able to see like during the daylight. He's got to wear glasses. But nobody else sustained like Permanent damage. But you're right. I mean, look, you could die falling off your bike. Yeah. Or you get hit wrong, you could fall back and die. But most yeah. of those fights, they weren't fighting to the death or nothing.
3: Right. Yeah. Now, Rogan always talks about how in real life, fights normally last about one punch. Yeah. You know? Or end up, you know, headlock wrestling or whatever it may yeah, be. And
4: that's what, that's what the whole mystique really with him was. Well not, really, well, not so much the mystique, but the fact that his first recorded fight which was, I guess, considered a street fight, even though, you know, it was set up, was he looked like he had skills, you know, he had technique, he, he, you know, he kept his, you know, his shit tight, and, you know, he wasn't like a mess swinging with his head down, and it was like the first guy that, you know, looked like he knew what the fuck he was doing Mm -hmm. in a a bare-knuckle fight out there, and... I think that's what you know, people really like. They like that he came for. They like he had no fear. I mean, the first one that we filmed is the one where he let the guy get, like, a few free punches on him. And this wasn't, like, some little dude. You know, that guy was fresh out of prison, about 2.30 himself, mm. and he just let him chin-check him. I mean, even I was scared when I saw that. I'm like, oh, my God. Like... That guy might not, not might not all be there. Why, why did he let him do it? I don't really know. He just felt. When I asked him later on, he, you know, he's like, I just felt like I could take it, and I didn't, you know, I just wanted to see what he had, huh. and that was his rationale to it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think I'd give free shots to really anybody, no, especially in that type of situation. No, no
3: definitely not. But imagine the fear that that guy felt. Oh, like, afterwards. I mean, when he punched him in the face and yeah. then he just like looked at him a couple times and
4: and I'm and they and it wasn't like he punched him in the face and they were off target I mean he hit him clean in his chin several times and he sustained it like nothing walk right through it yeah you could imagine where his yeah. confidence went yeah yeah fuck
3: You ever met Mike Tyson?
4: Yeah? Have you? Yeah, so oh, the happened. the first time we we met Tyson, we were at uh, I don't know if it was a boxing match or a concert, but we were at the Miami Arena. It wasn't a basketball game. And Kimbo only had done the street fighting, but the videos were out there, and people knew who he was from it. And, I, and we're, we're standing in like one of these back rooms, and I'm like, "Hey, Tyson's staring at you." And he's like, "He's here." And Kimbo was a big Tyson fan. And I'm like, "Yeah, I said, "Look, he's over there." And, he, and when they caught eyes, he called him over. So, you know, we both walked over there together, and Tyson, I'll, you know, I'll never forget it. He, he said, hey, I love your work. It's like, I love the work you do. He goes, do you mind if I give you one piece of advice? You know, Kimbo was all ears, and he was just, you know, happy to be, you know, in his presence. And he's like, don't ever go pro. He goes, keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, later on, you know, we kind of talked to each other about it. Because, mind you, like, I was doing all this so... You know, Kimbo could make money for himself, and you know who knew what was gonna come from it. Like we didn't intend for him to have an MMA career, or you know, to have a professional fighting career. It just evolved into that, and we took Tyson's advice on that note. More like, hey, you know, people are gonna fuck you and do you wrong if you end up, you know, going this Mm -hmm. route. But that's where I was always there to make sure. That you know he was taken care of, and nobody was taken from him. I never took a dollar from him as a manager or anything like that. Kimball always kept all hundred percent of his purses and any money that he brought in, so there was no question whether you were like getting fucked or not. It was like you're keeping all your money other than his training expenses yeah that you know he took care of but yeah, that was tyson 's interesting advice, and sometimes I do think back that maybe. You know, if he would have never went pro and there just would have been this underworld mystique guy who came out once in a while to have a bare knuckle fight, could have been pretty fucking cool. But then the world would have got to meet him and know who he was. And he's such a special individual that it's, it was, you know, a blessing that the world got to know who he was.
0: How did he die?
4: Um, he had an enlarged heart. And, you know, he liked to have a good time and party a little bit. And, you know, that mixed never really is you know too good for anyone mm. and you know he did slow up when he found out about it and you know he was living a healthy life but you know i think it had come too far along yeah so it was ultimately his heart that gave out on him
3: right Right. that's uh, how old was he 42 fuck yeah isn't it crazy like somebody's facing that kind of danger on a regular basis, and it's just some congenital thing that ends up.
4: You know, and I learned a lot about blood pressure and all that because, you know, other things came with having the enlarged heart, and blood pressure was one of them. And the doctor, who's a a really good friend of mine who also lives in my neighborhood back home in, in Miami, he was telling me how it's the silent killer. He's like, you know, there could be guys that look like they're chiseled, jacked up, you know, in crazy shape. But they're not good you know inside and he told us about a story about somebody who became paralyzed because they you know the blood pressure went too high and he was playing football one day and out the next and Kimbo did not want to take medication but I, I said look you know I really trust this doctor and I think you should too and I mean numbers don't lie you know when your blood pressure is 200 over 150 you know it doesn't take a doctor to know that that's not good for you so I said, if you need to take these to get those numbers, you know, more in line, I said, I think you should do it. And he always had his own way of going about things. And if you if felt like he missed a day, you could double up the next day. And I'm like, it just doesn't work like that. Mm. And it took a while for him to really comprehend what he was dealing with. So I just think it just all happened a little too late. You know, yeah. which, and, and at the end, you know, they were suggesting a heart transplant for a Oof. while, but he didn't, you know, he wanted to fight he was in the ICU still wanting to have his fight that was booked two months later. Like, it was only gameness in him and only fight in him. He was one special individual. Mm. And no fear whatsoever. You know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, if you get into an argument, they like to take their shirt off, you know, you know, beef up or whatever, you know, they might do, like a dog would bark. He was always quiet and just... He would just strike first. I had never seen anything like it. No mm. fear whether it was one guy, six guys, or whatever. He, yeah, he was
3: one of a kind when it came to that. Hmm. Yeah, I can't, yep. I can't think of anybody like that. I have a buddy who's a, a Navy SEAL. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to a party at his house tonight. He's a great guy, beautiful dude. Uh, sort of similar in a sense. Um, I, I never ask him, you yeah. know, but he's been on missions in really gnarly places. Some real shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you meet him, you would never guess he's uh, that he's like yeah. an elite train killer because he's the sweetest, kindest, like just he's a sweetheart. You know, you just he's a great guy to be around and uh, just wonderful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's interesting how. You know, so often it's, you know, the people with the biggest speakers have the worst taste in music. It's, yeah, right. The way it works. You know, he, um, and a lot of people
4: felt that he was like this big, scary dude. But when you met him and got to know him, it was like, wow, this, he's a, you know, a real gentleman. He was a really good guy. You don't want to be on the flip side of it because he could obviously, you know, turn that switch whenever. But he was just such a nice dude, you know, and yeah, it was, like I said, just one of a kind, man missing missing a good one missing one of the good ones and that to this day you know i i I manage his his oldest son who fights still with bellator
3: i met him here i think yeah yeah Yeah.
4: you met Boonks here he goes by baby slice he's a great kid you know he's totally different from how his dad was Hmm. um you know he's you know a little more reserved and but he's such a good kid man and he he's married now and you know he's got uh Kimbo's got five other kids that I help out, you know, mm. and just try to guide them in the right way. No, I know, you know, he would have wanted me to do.
3: Yeah. So, what's your life like now? You, you guys, when did you sell the, the business? In 2012. So, what, eight years ago? Yeah.
4: And, um, but, you know, we I ended up running the production still for a few years after that for them as it, you know, continued. Uh, recently or about four years ago, now we launched a, a webcam site called Cam Soda, uh, you know, just live interactive. Uh, we're getting like all you know, big uh, IG girls on some porn, some not, just some regular models. You know, you don't necessarily need to be nude, some girls get on and just do like a bikini thing. Mm. Um, we just try to get you know, whatever. Hottie with a personality who wants to reach, you know, and monetize her audience. You know, we love getting them on. And did
3: you guys have any anything to do with uh, Kendra Sutherland? Sunderland? You know,
4: with that library thing? Yeah. No, she did that on her own, but. Yeah. No, I mean
3: after like her because oh, no, well, she got into No, corner. no, yeah. We we worked with her for uh, quite
4: a while. But yeah, yeah. that was a that was pretty funny. cool stunt that she did there. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. They um I mean she's got a, an amazing rack on her that yeah. helped. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a great bit they did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we probably imitated it maybe afterwards. Right. But I know that was all her, man. Big ups for you know coming up with that library bit.
3: Yeah. I mean, was it W- was it that was stage? No, no, she's not, doing it for a boyfriend or not, something. Yeah, right? not yeah. from
4: you know my understanding at all. It was just yeah. it just ended up happening, it became viral. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I think she works with Greg Lansky or he used you know, to. He used yeah. to. Okay. Well, Greg's out of it now. Oh, really? He's out of the business now. I yeah. didn't know that. Yep. His I guess his partners with what he was doing bought him out, so he's out as of like, probably like a month ago or something. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah. All right. Well, good for him. Yeah, right. I'm was. not
4: sure what he's up to now. I know he's been in Florida, you know, for a little bit, but yeah, he's, he's not in the mix anymore.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but I, I, what I was asking you is like, I think you said you're what, 44 43, I 43. Don't add them yet. Sorry, whatever. I mean, it's you'll coming. see, will dude, get used to it. I, I'm <laughs> always like, I'm almost 60, yeah. you know? So when it finally comes, I'm used to saying it and feeling it. Um, but what I was gonna say is like, you know, uh, you've obviously had lots of experiences that are totally unique. And here you are, 43, you've, you know, sold a company for boatloads of money you're living in this beautiful mansion overlooking the ocean, what's that like? Is it as good as people think it is? You know, it definitely could be worse, right? (laughs) Because I'm always saying like, you know, money's not what it, you know, fame. Like I have the perfect level of fame, which is like super low level. Yeah. This is something Simon and I talk about. Yeah. Like when somebody recognizes me, it's great. It's yeah. like, wow, cool. Somebody's, you know, knows who I am. Also, they know who I am through the podcast or the book or something. So it's, they kind of do know me. Mm-hmm. Whereas when someone recognizes Simon, it's like, oh shit. Cause they don't really know him. So it's an awkward thing where they're responding to a character he right. plays, you know? Um, but anyway, I, I, I guess what of the, th- the reasons I'm asking this is that people on this podcast hear me talking shit about money all the time. Yeah. And so here's a guy who's like, you know, you rang the bell Tell me how horrible it is. (laughs) Tell me it's not what people say. Uh, You know, I I really don't know what to
4: say about that other than, I mean, property taxes will keep you working, you know? In
3: California, yeah. Yeah, and Florida.
4: yeah, Um, But... Yeah, no, I guess it's better to have it than not have it. I'll yeah. say that.
3: Is but, it, I mean, have you found it to be isolating? Like, is do you find it hard to, like, have friendships because you don't know if people are trying to play you or want access, you know? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I always keep my guard up with kind of everything that I do
4: in general. Um, super skeptical with, you know, random ideas or invest in this or do this. Right. But... You know, once in a while, something interesting does come along. Like I just started, uh, I have uh, my partner, Matt, that we started uh, a couple things. We did a jujitsu tournament called oh, high rollers yeah. where, you know, the people smoke and then they compete. And our right. other, our partner, Lon, actually is the one that came up with the idea. And you know, so we're doing that together. And then that kind of rolled into, we started a company with the Diaz brothers with Nick and Nate called Game Up. So, you know, I like doing the projects that are fun and interesting and still somewhat in the fight world. Like, for me, the High Rollers is amazing because, you know, it's something I'm interested in. Yeah. But, you know, to to answer the question of, you know, who's, like, in that immediate circle and definitely have a really small group. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been around for a while. Yeah, you know, the... um, most of them have, but there have been a couple guys that I've met, you know, through the fight game. I feel like there's a lot of honor kind of in mm. not so much on the business side of it, but on the other side, of it, there's a lot of honor in that world. And I feel one of the things that I feel like I do have is good intuition. And when I feel that way about somebody, I, I do embrace it. So it's rare you get, you know, someone you want to like do other things with and try some new ventures. And I was able to find that, you know, with a couple guys. So it makes it interesting.
3: Yeah, and you've like, been in this long enough that, you know, your own basic sort of intuition has been honed over a lot yeah. of years at this point. and to know when to pull the plug if you've got to pull the plug. Like, right. you know, cut the losses if,
4: you know, I feel it coming or not. You know, right. just, you know, it's more about time these days. Like, you yeah. know, where do I want to spend my time and my energy?
3: Yeah. What about relating to women? Has, has this aspect of your life made it hard for you to to like relate to women emotionally do you think because yeah, you well, had to keep a distance that whole adult world definitely fucked me up yeah um
4: without a doubt because i've seen so many of them lie you know whether it was oh, i'm over here doing a magazine shoot with my girlfriend and you know she's getting railed by two guys and then going back whatever stories they were coming i've seen i've heard a lot i know i haven't seen and heard at all but i've definitely heard a lot of it and yeah i mean it's definitely fucked me up so it makes yeah it, i'm single it's hard you know. for you to trust women i would very easily say that yes yeah. um yeah it takes you know years to earn it and seconds to lose it right
3: yeah
4: yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's rough but you know it's you know it's just all part of it and i feel like um You know, there's always the ones that do stand out that, you know, maybe give a little benefit of the doubt. But I think at the end of the day, it's definitely caused a permanent uh, trust factor with me.
3: It's hard, though, because, you know, your exposure over these years has been to, you know, obviously a self-selected group of women. Right. And I'm not in no way am I saying that, you know, women who do porn are less honorable than other women or, you know, any of that. Um, But because of the world you're in, you're seeing like certain situations play out again and again. Right. Whereas you're not really hanging with the women who aren't lying to their boyfriends. You know what I mean? Right. Who aren't like willing to tell a lie for a thousand bucks or whatever it was. So it's kind of like your sense of women in general is very skewed. I hear, I still hear it
4: all, you know, girl's married, but you know, she's over here in Vegas for a trip or she's in Miami partying and, you know, it is what it is that, you know, people play their game and yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, it's hot when I see it girl just wants to have a good time and have fun, but she's going back to her dude. He has no idea what she's doing. Yeah. Unless he's like the dude who was like, "Hey, let me come and watch." And well, yeah, it, right. If he if if he's if he's game for you know who's gonna show up now. If the guy she's fucking can't get his dick hard, then he feels great about it. Right. He's like, oh, you know, I'm you know, I'm the man. Yeah. But if that guy you know shows him a move or two, you know, yeah, better
3: make sure he's got his protein that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I don't want to take more of your time. I know you got st- shit to do. Thanks for well, It was great talking this. with you, man. Yeah. You know, we'll have to do it again. I Maybe appreciate it. will come your way. Or yeah. we'll do it in the van. Do it in the van. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I don't know. Like, when you hit the road. That phrase kind of scares me. Yeah. All yeah. well, right. Do it not, in the van. Not,
3: yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage.
2: Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of t-shirts sex at dawn civilized to death vanthropology tangentially speaking paleo modern and talking out of my ass
3: (laughs) she didn't like saying that last one
2: then we now have some new things added we've got beer cozies Or koozies, or whatever they're called.
3: Oh, civilized to death. They're all civilized to death. That's right. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom.
5: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. your chest, you want to shut it up but give it a rest, you're gonna die one day, why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation,